This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 48, a review of the recent press releases for Five Drugs in Development, plus, from the vault, a section from our Nash Tag 22 coverage considering different issues surrounding the trial designs and use of drug and diagnostic combinations. Stephen Harrison begins this conversation by noting that we have never seen so much good news in Nash drug development at the same time. He then goes on to discuss the first study we are covering, the Altimune Phase 1B study looking at PEMV a dual receptor GLP-1 glucagon agonist. Stephen describes the multiple ways this agent affects liver fat creation and processing and goes on to describe trial design, patient qualification and restrictions, and an exciting set of trial results. The vast majority of patients at the two higher doses in this trial exhibited greater than 30% reduction in MRI PDFF, which suggests the potential for a one-level regression of fibrosis, and slightly more than half normalized liver fat totally. All this in a drug with a relatively strong safety and tolerability profile. When Stephen finishes, Jorn Schottenberg notes that unlike single GLP-1 agents, this drug has a direct liver effect through its glucagon mechanism, and mazinuridine points to greater than 4% weight loss over a 12-week period as promising fibrosis improvement in time. Last week, I described NASH drug development as heading into an exciting time, which made this week's podcast what mazinuridine and Jorn Schottenberg each described as a wow episode. We have all thirsted for legitimate good news for so long. These press releases suggest we might not have that much longer to wait. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Let me turn the floor over to Stephen. And I guess chronological makes as much sense as anything else, but in whatever order you would like to walk us through these trials, let's walk through one, stop for questions, and then walk through the next one. Stephen Harrison. Thank you, Roger. I mean, again, I think probably important to start off with just some high-level thoughts. First of all, I don't know the last time ever where you've had this much data report out within a small, narrow window of time and have this much data be positive. How positive is it? Well, just to reflect on that a moment, today is October 3rd, 2022. Two of the presentations we'll be talking about today are late breaker orals at AASLD. A third one is a late breaker poster at AASLD. And the other one came out before or after the submission deadline, so it didn't have a chance to be presented at AASLD. And then maybe what is still out there, the 800-pound gorilla, if you will, is we haven't heard the Madrigal all phase three data yet. So it's almost like all this groundswell of momentum is building as we ended Q3 and enter into Q4 with the promise of Maestro Nash data being released in Q4. I think it sets us up very nicely for what I mentioned at the beginning of the year, and that is the most exciting year for Nash probably in the past decade. It's a great time to be here and to be talking about this today. So let me do this. Let me go in the order of significance relative to the phases of drug development. We have one phase 2A, three phase 2Bs, and one phase 3. So let me start not necessarily in alphabetical order or in the order that they came out, but with Altimune. So Altimune had uh, their top line results were presented on the 14th of September of this year. And this was a 12-week phase 1B study 
study of pinvudetide. What is pinvudetide? Pinvudetide is a balanced GLP-1 glucagon dual receptor agonist. And so the results from today reflect a 12-week phase 1b study in overweight and obese subjects with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So what is pinvudetide? Again, we talked about this being a specific GLP-1 glucagon receptor agonist. And so it does all kinds of interesting things to the body. It Through the GLP-1, it induces satiety, it lowers food intake, it also slows gastric emptying. Its glucagon activity works by increasing triglyceride lipolysis, fatty acid oxidation, ketogenesis, downregulating hepatic de novo lipogenesis, and on and on and on, increasing in energy expenditure. Somebody put it like this. It's like taking a drug that both induces weight loss and increases exercise without actually having to diet or get out and exercise. So just think of this drug physiologically working in that particular manner. So this, just a study design, I think is important to go over 12 weeks, 94 patients were randomized one-to-one to one-to-one to one one of four treatment arms, placebo or 1.2 milligram weekly for 12 weeks, 1.8 milligram weekly for 12 weeks, and then a four-week titration period up to the largest dose, which is 2.4 milligrams. So four-week titration period, eight weeks at 2.4 milligram. Important to note, there was no calorie restriction or lifestyle intervention recommended. These patients had to have liver fat content on MRI of at least 10%. And, and this is in contrast to the other studies we're going to talk about. Because it was an early phase trial, safety and tolerability were key for this in this patient population. So we did not want to have significant fibrosis. So we set a cut point of 10 kPa on fibroscan. Had to be less than 10 kPa. And also had to have an ALT level less than or equal to 75 units per liter. So a bit different than a lot of our other trials. And then they also, they could be a non-diabetic or a diabetic. Classic stuff had to be on a stable dose of SGLT2 inhibitor therapy, metformin, that sort of thing for three months. And obviously they couldn't be in a GLP-1 because we're giving them a GLP-1 here. So primary endpoint was reduction in liver fat content. Key secondary endpoint was weight loss, looked at safety, that sort of thing. Just jumping forward to study disposition, 94 patients randomized. There was about 20 patients in each treatment arm. Primary endpoint reduction in liver fat content at week 12 was very significant for drug versus placebo, had its peak effect at the 1.8 milligram dose with an absolute liver fat content reduction of 14.7% versus 0.2 for placebo. When you look at that from a relative perspective, uh, that 1.8 milligram dose, 68.5% relative reduction versus 4.4 for placebo. Now, people don't often relate to that. What they relate to is how many hit that magic 30% relative liver fat content reduction that we hear so much about ranged from 65 to 94%, depending on which dosing arm you had. The best efficacy was in that 1.8 milligram arm versus 4.2 for placebo. More stringent 50% reduction, around 70% of the two higher doses hit that versus zero for placebo. And maybe the most stringent of all, 
normalization of liver fat content occurred in 50 to 55% of the two higher doses versus zero for placebo. So there were a dose response relationship relative to ALT reductions in those that had baseline values greater than 30. Weight loss was variable, but when we look at all subjects, it was around 3.4 to 4.3% in this 12-week time period versus 0.2 for placebo. Serum lipids moved the way we would expect them to. Cholesterol was down. Triglycerides were down. When you lose weight acutely, you tend to drop HDL. That's happened here, although not by a significant amount. And LDL was uh, relatively unchanged. Safety, when we look at safety, it's what you would expect from from an AE perspective, mainly mild to moderate nausea, some emesis present, although mild. In general, there was also some mild constipation and diarrhea. So these were all GI-related and and known to this type of mechanism. There were no serious adverse events, and two cases of AEs leading to treatment discontinuation are about 4% in the two higher-dose groups. Importantly, no elevations in ALT that were significant. Uh, Blood pressure, heart rate changes were unsignificant. And when we looked at glycemic variables and compared non-diabetics to diabetics, no real change here across any of those variables. So in summary, robust liver fat content reductions, significant reductions in ALT, all this occurring at 12 weeks. Weight loss was present as well in both diabetics and non-diabetics. There were no serious or severe adverse events and low rates of AEs that tended to be GI related and no ALT elevation. So let me stop there and see what the panel has to say about this particular study and mechanism. Jörn Schattenberg. I'm going to try to say it once, uh, Stephen, pemvidatite. I agree, it's a, it's a tongue breaker. You know, for me, it stands out that it follows along the metabolic class of drugs with uh, strong safety data here, as you said, and some early efficacy data. The very interesting aspect to me is that it extends the, the spectrum of GLP-1s by hitting the liver directly with a glucagon agonistic. And I think this is something that is really, from a hepatologist's perspective, really key to this MOA for me. And, and as such, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to see that type of class being developed. And, and I think there is even a broader pipeline on this type of drugs. And I'm going to be excited to hear what Mazen thinks about this, but I think that's reassuring. Mazen Nuruddin. This is what exactly in my mind you're on. If I caught it correctly, the weight loss was up to 4.3%, which I don't want to downplay that at all. Within two weeks, it's very significant. But the amount of liver fat reduction, I think it's slightly disproportional to the weight loss in a good way. It's way more than I would expect from that weight loss. To me, it uh, points indirectly to probably direct effect on the liver. So that's the nice thing about it. I think we still have to see in the future the effect on fibrosis with GLP-1 glucagon and GLP-1s. I'm almost certain it's going to probably follow the fat and steatohepatitis because those are the driver of the disease and the Kleiner paper and the Gemma Open Network suggested that. When you drop the steatohepatitis, the fibrosis will follow at one point or another. Here you're addressing the entire disease as a whole body, not just liver, because you're losing weight and you're improving metabolic parameters. I was curious if what is the rate of cure? And I will define that not just less than 5%, maybe with normalization of liver enzymes. I think that will be a good thing to look at, which will give you a great confidence that the patients are returning to a pre-liver disease status, which is huge in 12 weeks only. So for those of us who are a little less knowledgeable, how would you normalize liver fat in 56% of patients and not have the enzymes follow at some point? What's the mechanism by which that might occur? I mean, 
it, it kind of felt to me like that's night following day. If it isn't night following day, then how would it occur that one would happen and then not the other? Well, I mean, it's uh, timing is always important, right? So you could, at 12 weeks, you stopped. Uh, I mean, you're looking at the fat and there's st- still a little bit of inflammation that is going to follow a resolution of the fat. So that's one factor. We have seen some data showing a little bit bump in ALT when you defatten the liver, especially quickly. That tends to come down eventually. So that's another factor that will lead to affecting the ALT normalization. So I'm almost certain that with these 55% people, not everyone had ALT reduction, but eventually I think they will go down. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content in this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss the recent NICE meeting evaluating use of ECTE in community settings in the UK. In the meantime, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.